0: The planet, our mother, Grandmother Earth, is physical and therefore a spiritual, mental, and emotional being. Planets are alive, as are all their byproducts or expressions, such as animals, vegetables, minerals, climactic, and meteorological phenomena. Believing that our mother, the beloved Earth, is inert matter is destructive to yourself. There's little you can do to her, believe it or not. Such beliefs point to a dangerously diseased physicality. Being good, holy, and or politically responsible means being able to accept whatever life brings, and that includes just about everything you usually think of as unacceptable, like disease, death, and violence. Walking in balance in harmony and in a sacred manner requires staying in your body, accepting its discomforts, decayings, witherings and blossomings and respecting them. Your body is also a planet replete with creatures that live in it and on it. Walking in balance requires knowing that living and dying our twin beings, gifts of our mother, the earth, and honoring her ways does not mean cheating her of your flesh, your pain, your joy, your sensuality, your desires, your frustrations, your unmet and met needs, your emotions, your life. A society based on hate destroys itself, and causes harm to all of grandmother's grandchildren. Our beloved planet, my beloved, is in crisis. This, of course, we all know. For the most part, we do not recognize that the reason for her state is that she is entering upon a great initiation. She is becoming someone else. She is giving birth to her new consciousness of herself, and her relationship to the other vast intelligences, other holy beings in the universe. Her travail is not easy, and it occasions her intensity, her conflict, her turmoil. The turmoil, conflict, and intensity that human and other creatures' life mirror. And as she moves, growing and learning ever closer to the sacred moment of her realization her turmoil intensity agony and conflict increase we are each and all a part of her an expression of her essential being we are each a small fragment that is not the whole we humans and our relatives the other creatures are integral expressions of her thought and being we are not her but we take our being from her and in her being we have being as in her life we have life as she is so are we now now is the time when mother becomes grandmother i have said that this is the time of her initiation of her new birth i could also say it is the time of mutation for transformation means to change form at such a time as this, what, indeed, can we do? We can sing hey ah, hey in honoring all that has come to pass, all that is passing. What can we do, rejoicing and honoring, to show our respect? We can heal. We can cherish our bodies and honor them. Sing hey ah, hey to our flesh. We can cherish our being our petulances and rages, our anguishes and griefs, our disabilities and strengths, our desires and passions, our pleasures and delights. For the body is not the dwelling place of the spirit, it is the spirit. It is not a tomb, it is life itself. And even as it withers and dies, it is born, even as it is renewed and reborn it dies healing the self means committing ourselves to a wholehearted willingness to be what and how we are beings frail and fragile strong and passionate neurotic and balanced diseased and whole partial and complete stingy and generous safe and dangerous twisted and straight storm tossed and quiescent, bound and free. What can we do to be politically useful, spiritually mature attendants in this great transformation we are privileged to participate in? Find out by asking as many trees as you meet, how to be a tree. Our mother, in her form known as Sophia, was long ago said to be a tree, the great tree of life.
1: Many religions and cultures around the world see the sacred all around us. Many call for us to care for our planet and its creatures. Our own Unitarian Universalist faith asks our congregations to affirm and promote our seventh principle, that of respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Today we explore that seventh principle in our ongoing series looking at what these principles mean and how they relate to our lives. And in doing so, I'd like to spend some time inhabiting a worldview that looks at our planet not as the host to the web, but as part of it. This worldview is most notably espoused by indigenous cultures, including the Hawaiian-Polynesian cultures and many Native North American traditions. Hawaiian philosopher and theologian Michael Keone Dudley writes, Hawaiians traditionally have viewed the entire world as being alive in the same way that all humans are alive. They have thought of all creatures as conscious, able to know and act and able to interrelate with humans. The ancient Hawaiian worldview is remarkably consistent with the theory of evolution, in fact, looking at our Earth and its creatures as all related to one another and developing from one another over time. Again, Michael Keone Dudley, who writes, the chants of the Hawaiians told them that they had descended from the cosmos itself and from its many plant and animal species. They felt a kinship with nature not experienced by people who see a break between humankind and the species of nature which have preceded them in the evolutionary advance. In the Western world, he writes, where the cleavage is most pronounced, animals are disdained as having senses but no reason. The plants are recognized as alive but in no way even aware. And the elements of the cosmos are treated as inert objects that follow mechanical laws. Hawaiians, on the other hand, View all of these beings as sentient ancestral forms that interrelate with them as family. Therefore, they experience reality differently because of these views. We see a similar orientation toward our planet and its creatures in many native North American traditions. Environmental historian J. Donald Hughes has studied indigenous North American cultures of the present and past and their relationship to the environment. He writes, The Zunis called everything, whether it be a star, mountain, flower, eagle, or the earth itself, Ho'i, a living person. In the American Indian experience, all creatures are alive with the same life that is within us, and trees and rivers, snakes, blue jays, and elk reverberate with power and resonate with spirit Later in his essay, Hughes tells us the practical result of this perspective was care for the natural world. Since the earth herself was conceived of as being alive, an aspect of that care was to refrain from harming the earth. Hughes lets us know that even the agricultural techniques of the Zunis treat the surface of the earth as gently as possible. It's the surface of a living being, eschewing plows, in favor of planting sticks that make delicate little holes. The thought that our planet itself can be viewed as a living being is found outside of indigenous cultures of this hemisphere as well. It's something that has surfaced from time to time in the last hundred years of European and American science and religious thought. Most famously, we have the Gaia hypothesis, developed by James Lovelock, an atmospheric chemist from Britain, and Lynn Margulis, an American microbiologist in 1979. The Gaia hypothesis looks at the Earth as if it were a large organism and sees atmospheric changes as bringing the planet back to balance through feedback loops, just as feedback loops happen in our bodies all the time. The organism of our planet can be seen through the lens of our own bodies. We are not as we might like to imagine, single, isolated creatures. We are, in fact, living colonies of creatures. I heard it said on the radio a few weeks ago that the number of bacteria alone living in and on our bodies outnumbers the human cells that make us up. Our cells themselves are creatures, too. In graduate school, I studied immune cells that crawl around the inside of the lung, cleaning up foreign debris and disease-causing organisms. These cells are not connected to other cells. They're loose. They're free to roam the inside of the lung. And even our cells themselves contain the ancient remnants of other creatures within them. But this is not a science lecture. Philosopher David Spangler writes this about the Gaia hypothesis. He writes... Gaia is used as an image to reimagine the nature of our earth and our relationship to it. It is also being used to reimagine the spiritual nature of our planet, since if it is a living being and possesses a soul or spirit of some kind, then we cannot simply view it as dead matter. If there is a relationship God has to us as living beings, then that relationship also extends to and includes the earth. If we may participate in sacredness, then so does the earth, not simply as a valued and cherished environment, but as a fellow creature. Spengler critiques the Western tendency to engage with the Gaia hypothesis at a superficial level, seeing life as only the, Judeo, as only as the Judeo-Christian tradition has defined it, and thus relegating this theory to the status of novelty. Later on, he writes. I believe Gaia is an important spiritual idea for our time. For if it but for it to fulfill its potential, we must remember that a spiritual idea is not something we think about, but something that inhabits and shapes us. It's like a strand of DNA organizing and energizing our lives. A spiritual idea is not just an idea to be filed away, another bit of data that we file away. It's incarnational rather than descriptive. It comes alive only when it is made flesh in our lives, through work, through practice, through effort, through skill, through reflection. Spengler writes, invoking the spirit of Gaia is insufficient unless we understand just how we shape and participate in that spirit and, in turn, are shaped by it. What would it take to incarnate, to make real in our bodies the notion that the earth is alive? Paula Gunn-Allen, in the reading that John shared with you a few minutes ago, talks about the earth as being in the process of giving birth to something new. If we saw our planet as a being, in the process of giving birth, a being that we care about, that we love in the the pains of labor giving birth, how would we act towards it? How would we act towards a fellow human that we came across, a human that we cared about in the pains of labor giving birth? We might care for her, bring her comfort, bring her medicine, get her attention, call the doula. There are many things that we might do to to bring her care, what would we do to our planet if we saw her as a being in the pains of giving birth? The work of French Jesuit scientist, philosopher, and theologian Pierre Teilhard de Chardin also gives us a glimpse at what this might mean. It's not our heads and our bodies we must bring together, but our hearts, he wrote, alerting us to the fact that if we are parts of a larger body, we must understand how we are connected with all of the other parts of that body, how the whole body is a unity and not a mere collection of individual parts. Teilhard de Chardin saw the entire universe as having a consciousness that was evolving into a unity. Humanity, in his view, is at a critical threshold over which we will be able to experience a new consciousness of our connection to the cosmos Now, that sounds pretty woo-woo on the surface, but I think it's worth digging deeper. Teilhard called on humans to expand our ability to love by seeing ourselves as intimately connected to our planet and its creatures. Love alone, he wrote, can unite living beings as to complete and fulfill them, for it alone joins them by what is deepest in themselves, all we need is to imagine our ability to love developing until it embraces the totality of men and the earth. When we dig just a little bit deeper into Teilhard's philosophy, we see a striking similarity to the Gaia hypothesis, though it was developed after his death. A striking similarity to a philosophy in which we can all be seen as organs or cells in a living body of the earth we see a striking similarity to the writings of scientist Lewis Thomas, who famously thought of our planet not as an entire being, but as a single cell. Whether or not our planet is alive, we face the reality that our fate as a species and the health of our Mother Earth are intimately interrelated. Whether or not we are willing to honor the sentience of the rock, the river, and the tree, We can understand that they are all three parts with each and every one of us of a unity of being that makes our fates inseparable. David Spangler again writes, We cannot assume the sacredness nor spiritual livingness of the earth or accept it as a new ideology or as a sentimentally pleasing idea. We must, he writes, experience that life Experience that sacredness, if it is there, in our relationship to our own sacredness and to that ultimate mystery, which many call God. We are called by our principles to experience the sacredness of life by understanding our connections to all of it, indeed, our interdependence with it. This notion, however, cannot merely be a slogan that we print in our pamphlets, something that looks nice in the beginning of our, of our hymnals. It needs to be integrated into how we live our lives. It needs to be embodied, made into flesh, through how we eat, how we work, how we travel, how we gather, how we play, how we pray. It needs to be more than thought. It needs, as Teilhard would remind us, Heart. The pulsing drumbeat rhythm of the planet, whether in the Central African rainforest or the desert plateaus of the American Southwest, can be understood as calling us into relationship with our mother, with our grandmother, with our earth, with the being that sustains us and makes our lives possible. Blessed be.